Welcome to the Alpha Pack Podcast. When you hear the word alpha, what comes to mind? Is it a lone wolf who goes his own way? Or maybe it's a powerful leader who bulldozes over the competition. Well, what if we told you that true alphas aren't lone wolves intent on tearing people down? They're actually dominant leaders who never back down from the challenge of improving the lives of everyone around them. As part of the Alpha Pack, we believe that no leader should be on their own. They need a pack of people keeping them accountable, challenging them, and encouraging them to be the best that they can possibly be. Join us as we hear incredible stories from industry leaders about how to become an alpha that will settle for nothing less than making the world better than the way they found it. Are you ready to learn what it takes to become a true alpha? Then pull up a chair, because you have a seat at the table as part of the pack. This is the Alpha Pack Podcast. So we've been talking a lot about audacity lately, and it's a, you know, it's a big deal. It's I think it's a big part of being alpha and a big part of life success. But in our last conversation, guys, and God, we can record some of this now. We just started this like, hey, let's not make the uh, the the miscommunication error of saying, you know, really the key is just like you're the man, you're the woman, you got this. Be audacious, get yours, go make it happen, and and miss that what's actually at least as important, maybe more important than being audacious is being humble. Um, and I think you can be both. I don't think it's an either or. I, I, you know, the, there's the whole like um, C.S. Lewis quote I love about this. Is Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You don't, I don't think it's actually humble to think I'm terrible and hate myself. That's uh, that's another problem, not humility, right? If, if you got two ditches, right? You go too far to arrogance on one side or like self-loathing on the other side. That's another ditch. It's not the solution. There's a middle path where you can be comfortable with who you are, but it's not about you. So I, I thought it would be good for us to dive into humility. How do you, can you do it? So let me start there. Can you do it and be audacious? How do you balance that in your life? Can you balance that? Or is that just uh, me being unrealistic here? Scott, why don't you just tell us about the book you wrote recently on humility and oh, how oh. you and most how you humble man it. in the world? It's pretty yeah. amazing. It's an it's I mean it's the best book I've ever read. I've ever. heard it's a New York Times bestseller and you know, sold it's out. It's going within... to be. It's going to be. I promise. Uh, yeah. Well, I wrote the book, Daniel, after I got the award for being the most humble. So, the most humble. <laughs> I mean, I gave myself the award, but I I did get the award. So, <laughs> right. That, that was the lifetime achievement award that you got before you were 40. Uh, my second lifetime achievement award. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. So... My mom won't even read that one. She's read all the other. So, it's the weirdest thing. She'll get it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. How do, can you do this and be alpha? Um, can, or, or is this like mutually exclusive character traits? It's a tough question. I, I don't know where I'm going to land on this, but I think my starting response is that there will there will always be a tension there. Mm. And, and I don't know if that's a tension to be resolved or just to be managed. Mm. Uh, I, I do think that there is some level of alphaness that requires a, a level of audacity to mm. say, I don't like this. I'm going to change this, right? I'm going to push on the walls of reality and see if they'll move. And, and I think we spent a lot of time talking about that as a group, and I, and I love that conversation. Um, I think there is also a place in which 
there are things that you can't change. Hmm. And, and I've learned a lot from my wife in this. I think some of her issues have been more around health, right? It's like, you can't change the genetic cards that you were dealt, right? So this is what you're going to be. No amount of alpha is going to change this. And so how do you change your interior life to mm. come to peace with an exterior world that isn't what you want? And, and and I think there's always going to be a tension there. And for me, I'm much more comfortable in the exterior. This sucks. I'm going to change this. And I think my wife is probably more wired to be like, this sucks. How do I come to peace with it? Mm. Uh, and, and I think there's value in, in both. And I think one of the risks maybe for us in the kinds of circles we tend to run in is that I think oftentimes we can outsource our problems. And so we're not required to do the interior work that people with fewer options have to do. Yeah. So maybe I've taken us way off topic here, but but I I think humility is tied into that of there's some level of audacity that I can change reality to some extent, not not perfectly, but but there's an audacity there. But I think there also needs to be a humility that realizes that just because I can doesn't mean I should. Hmm. Well, well, there's two layers of that because there's there's like can and should and then there's there's things can't. Like I, right. I would still love to fly. I, you know, I've done skydiving and paragliding and all sorts of stuff to get close to it, but I still cannot on my own power launch through the sky like Superman or Neo in the matrix. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that there, there is at this point, no amount of audacity that's going to solve that problem for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are things I can't and there's things I can that I shouldn't. And so like, you know, what do you mean by humility is it accepting the things that are out of your control or is it um, even when it's in your control, choosing not to exercise it? Maybe that's where we need to start is what does humility look like? What do you define? Yeah. I think also being careful to not link audacity and, and pride, right? Like I do think those are different. I mean, I think we've had some conversation around that, but I, th- I think audacity is more, I have the gumption, desire, maybe you know strength enter inner or outer to give it a shot to try to stretch the boundaries i think pride is this almost like self-inflated view that i can't mess up or that nothing's going to go wrong or there's not going to be any real challenges and i think those are really uniquely different in the way that you approach them and then i think humility is a you know the the flip side of I think there's a lot of audacity at times in being humble, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in in places where it takes just as much audacity to be quiet, to step back, to let others shine, to kind of give others the opportunity to to win or pursue their dreams. Like there's a lot there that like audacity, I don't think sits at another spectrum of humility. I, I think it's how do you work with the interplay of them? I think pride and humbleness do, but I also really think most of the time pride and audacity do if you really kind of frame it the right way. This is clicking for me because um, let me let me define it this way. Audacity is 
how aggressive and grand and hard I push to accomplish something, right? It's not exactly right, but you know, it, it's a, yep. it, how far am I reaching? But humility is more about whether the goal is about making myself look awesome and feel awesome or whether it's serving something bigger than myself. Exactly. So I can be audacious in trying to set somebody else up in help them win and audacious in how I serve and audacious. In, and it's not about me. That's right. And I can be prideful. Uh, it's all about me. And that could make me act audaciously. But but again, the audacity is just how far do I reach? And the humility is well, for whose benefit and who's it about? Um, yeah, I think the humility piece for me is always just a, a correct understanding of your place in the story. You know, whatever that is. Ooh. But I think it's really just a, a correct framing of that. And I think I think pride is an overinflated view of your role in the story. And I think you have to be audacious to know the difference. Like, Mm. I I mean, I really, I really did. Well, and I think it's also a bit, you know, it's funny when we kind of get talking about this more and more, I think this kind of starts to join into almost like, you know, mature alpha, immature alpha in the sense that like, as you're coming into it, I think there's a sense that like, I'm highly intelligent. I've got a lot of horsepower, whatever you would say. And then I should apply it everywhere. And to some extent, I think that's the immature alpha, which is anti-humble to some extent. I think it gets to more how, where do I properly use my audacity? And and really kind of, I think that starts to link up to purpose. Like, mm-hmm. like I've got this audaciousness. Where do I apply it for, you know, for whether it's bang for the buck, whether it's a, you feel more of a calling to it. I just think it's kind of one of those things. Like, I think this very much joins in some ways to our conversation around the saying no. Like, it's many times I find it's not a matter of can I do something, but more should I do something. Like, you know, someone may come and say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And it's like, I, I look at my abilities and I'm like, I could. But I think that there would be other people who who could also do this, and me getting in there would would not maybe serve the greater good of the organization, or you know even the greater good of my time and my time and resources. So I think it's just to be alpha and humble. I think is a more of a mature thing because I think an immature alpha would say, "I've got all this horsepower. I can push on all these walls. Why wouldn't I push on all walls? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I?" So I think that it is it is something that kind of grows, but I think humility is an important part because you know I think that we've also talked in other podcasts about um, un, unhealthy alphas in the sense of toxic mm-hmm. alphas. Like, and I think really I don't think there's any path to shorter to toxic alpha than one that's full of pride, like one that is you know everything is a nail when you're a hammer kind of thing. I think that's yeah. dangerous yeah. and and just not good. I think I, our relationship interaction, it can could be a good petri dish to maybe talk about this some a little bit as well. But I mean, I do a lot of building of partnerships, you know, putting deals together, um, really trying to frame kind of win together opportunities for people. And I think, and I mean, our relationship has definitely been one of those between the four of us. But I, I really think there's at times that the best ideas come out of people willing to be audacious, but humble. Hmm. Because a lot of people I know are like, 
not necessarily, they're very skilled, right? Like they might have a lot of ability to even contribute. So I'm thinking about, I'm putting a deal together on a piece of medical technology right now. And, you know, I'm probably the most audacious guy in like, we should put this deal together. We can make a difference. It can really help. I'm not necessarily the smartest guy around that table, around that actual device. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for my audacity and a little bit of that, those three or four other people would have never even had that opportunity. And that's not necessarily prideful as much as it is. Uh, it, I, somebody's got to go, go kind of put it together to curate it, to set it up, to tee it up. And I think that's a lot of where, you know, if you can do that and have that ability to say, I'm willing to risk or, or kind of put myself out there, but a humility as well. No, Hey, I, I need to involve others. I want to put others in and I'm going to give others an opportunity to win in this too. To me, I think that that kind of sets how you, how you balance that. You know, you kind of said it's two sides of the gutter and it's like, well, how do you ride down the middle of the road? And I really think, again, I mean, you keep all of that for yourself. You could say, you know what, I'll just go read all the literature. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm, I'm audacious enough to, you know, go to med school. Sure. I'll do that. You know, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's a humility that really builds a lot of value, but I do think audacity is a recipe for activating a lot of things. And, and I think that's, what's so cool about our interaction is in, in different areas and arenas, we, we all have a level of audacity or maybe lead in audacity in different arenas but we all at the same time have a or try to get you know to look at each other from a standpoint of hey we're willing to be humble and listen or involve others at at a lack of like i need to get all the credit or fame i I really think that's a lot of like how do you balance that and how do you put that perspective into the places that you're trying to show up yeah this is probably a good uh second half of this conversation is to think okay what are the audacity systems, triggers, um, reminders, like how how do you, because let's be honest, part of uh, my life story, and I know all yours well enough to say it's true for all of us, the more successful we get, the more there are people who will tell us, even sometimes explicitly, like you're the man, you should get what you want. Like this is, you're the best, you're you're good at this, or hey, you got this. And and as my skills grow, it, it makes me more confident. I should try this. And so there's a lot of forces that would pull me out of this humble it's not about me mindset and to be like, no, dude, make it about you. Like, go get it. Um, so I need lots of regular things in my life to remind me. I love the way you said it, Jay, remind me of my true place in the story. Like what's, who am I really? And what's really going on and what's the real story. And so, so what are those triggers for you guys? What are those, those, um, you know, plumb lines or, or you know, they pull you back to plumb. I don't know the, the construction version of that. What is the tool that makes you plumb? But you know, the plumb plumber, I don't, I don't think yeah. that's the, the same context. This, right? this is Scott experiencing humility right now. <laughs> Wanders into a, yeah. a, uh, a construction analogy. Is like, well, I mean, I read a fantasy <laughs> novel with a guy who did some construction. Does that count? Is that? No, no, not no, the same not, thing. No, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no. For God, if you guys didn't, we don't remember this. My wife, when we got married, had more tools, and to this day, in my house, <laughs> we have a power drill, and it's my wife's power drill. I was like, "Hey, where's yes. mom's drill?" Like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's mom's drill's over it's there." Pink. Like, I mean, it's black and orange. Uh, she's okay. got. She likes. She doesn't like to be quite standard, but yes, it's mommy's power drill. <laughs> Has anybody seen mommy's power drill? Oh man. <laughs> So I'm the last guy who should talk about uh, technical terms in construction. 
<laughs> oh. So, so I one of the things that, and I hope this isn't a rabbit trail away from what we're doing, but I think it's also one of those things. I think that humility is not only a matter of using your audaciousness or alpha in a particular area, but I think it's also like, where is the organization or the group or the person willing to be receptive to it? Like I find, I found that, that, you know, early on in my uh, journey of this is that sometimes like I chose to be audacious in areas that were unwilling or unready to, to put it to work. And, and it ended up being a frustration both for the organization and for me. And so I think to some extent, if I feel really strongly about an area needing to be pushed and I think I can be effective and I think I can partner, then obviously I will. But I do think that there is a, you know, kind of takes two to tango to some extent. Like, you well, know, I, I think that's a big conversation and probably an entirely other episode, frankly. Yeah. How do when you show up if the organization you're a part of is not mm-hmm. ready for it? How do you be alpha when they don't want you to be? I mean, and that, so it's, that's a big maybe, one. Maybe we can just move one. that as a separate topic. But I just think like one of the ways that um, humility at least showed up for me in some of this alpha stuff was um, I was asked for you know to be a part of some leadership and to bring some of my what I would consider some of my audacious kind of alpha things to the table. And and the and the organization just wasn't ready, wasn't interested. And and it was one of those things like I could have stayed and like really grinded the axe and made a stink and all the rest. And I think there was just one of those things. It wasn't so much that I was wrong, or it wasn't so much that 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 I wasn't even, you know, playing the role that was asked to me. It was just like, but it wasn't the right time. And so I think it's just kind of that place where you go, hey. I'm not so tied to, I have to use my alpha to prove it to myself. I think that the humility thing often comes with like a certain amount of self-knowledge, a certain amount of self-confidence, audaciousness to say, hey, I don't have to apply it everywhere. I think that's good. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I do think that that's a deep conversation is how do you know when to push? How do you know when to back off? How do you manage that? But but I'll, I'll recognize that, yes, there's a you have to have a sufficient humility in that moment to not um, prove yourself right at the cost of burning the organization down. Um, and I also think, and not, again, not to sidetrack all of our conversation, but I think a lot of times it's very easy as an alpha to like link on to I'm an audacious person and it becomes identity rather than a tool to be used. Hmm. Wow. That's good. And I think that that's where humility really goes awry is all of these things are tools. Like audaciousness is a tool to use at certain times. Yes. Humility is a tool to use at certain times. Again, correctly understanding the goal, the purpose, the story and I really think that's what, where it gets off kilter for a lot of people is when it becomes, I don't, I'm almost associating who I am with the tool or the trait that I'm used to using. Then if I get in an organization like that, I've almost lost myself because I can't use that tool instead of being able to say, look, I've got a lot of different tools in the tool belt. What is best needed for the environment, the relationship, a lot of things that I'm needing. And I think naturally alphas get in a lot of uh, places where audacity is a tool that they need to use quite often, right? Different than your drill, Scott, that you never use. We need to use that one. <laughs> <stuff>, right? 
But I, I think that that really is something to think about, that it doesn't become part of your identity, but a tool in your tool belt. And I think that helps humility say, hey, how do I have that tool in my tool belt too? And I think one of the litmus tests that that I've seen work well, I, I'm not saying that I use it well, but there is what you do, you know, what you contribute, the value you create, mm-hmm. and then there's the marketing around it. Right. Like how well do how many people know that you were the guy that made that happen? And how important is it to you that everybody knows? That's right. Because I have found for me that sometimes I care more about people knowing than I care about the the adding of the value itself. And I think in those moments, it's more about pride. Like I'm, I'm there thinking more about me and how I'm being perceived than the good that could come from us working together. Uh, And I, I think that's somewhat of a check for me to say, you know, would I still be doing this if, if nobody knows? Um, And am I positioning myself to make sure everybody knows or, or am I trying to take the back seat and, and, and trying to not be the headline? And, you know, if I become the headline, that's fine. But if I'm striving to be the headline, then I might not be in a healthy place. That's good, Daniel. But one of my real heroes is, um, so, you know, I spent a lot of years at Chick-fil-A, still do a lot of stuff with them. They're big influence. I was just at a event for them last week and again inspired think about legacy um but one of the heroes of chick-fil-a is a guy that almost nobody outside chick-fil-a knows exists because he his name was jimmy collins not the author uh, though he has written a couple books actually that are pretty good Um, they're really good actually different different (laughs) jimmy uh like not jim collins jimmy collins um he was the first president of chick-fil-a like true it's right hand i mean might have been his i think his Third employee and meaning like the second hire. I, I, I know Chick-fil-A fairly well, and I've never heard this name. Yeah. Jimmy oh, yeah. was Truett's right-hand man. And early wow. on, he said, listen, my job is for you to get all the attention. I'll take care of everything else. I, he even said, I people started inviting him to speak. And he said, you know, this puts too much attention on me. So I'm not going to speak until I, and he did not do presentations till he retired, not outside nope. Chick-fil-A, inside. And Jimmy quoted all the time, the quote that said, there's no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. That's mm-hmm. it. And he yep. lived it. And uh, you want to say why Chick-fil-A is Chick-fil-A. Yes, true. It was truly amazing. None of those stories are made up. He was also a massive influence, but I mean, Jimmy did it. Um, yeah. Truett and Jimmy is the story, not just Truett. But Jimmy explicitly said, well, let's see if we can make Truett the story. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a hero inside Chick-fil-A. Yeah, but both audacious and very oh. humble. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy was that. Uh, tell a lot yeah. of stories on the other side. Of oh, Jimmy he was not passive. He was not slow. He was not like, he was like, how big can we go? How hard can we push? How excellent can we get? 
He was not okay. Like part of his story, he'll talk about is how he had to learn how to, you know, maybe offer encouragement once in a while. Um, yep. <laughs> he just showed up and picked it how we could make it more perfect. Like he was driven. Yeah. Uh, and he, by the way, became famous for his encouraging notes. Um, he got really good at it, became a really motivational guy. But yeah, no, Jimmy was not a softie. Uh, no, mm-hmm. heck no. Yeah, that's a great example of, I think, audacious and humble at the same time, Scott. Okay, so how? How do you guys do this? What? I'll tell you one, you guys. You guys are both uh, moments where you like kick me in the pants around like, Scott, dude, you can go bigger than that. Like, why are you, why are you holding back? But you've also kicked me in the pants on like, Scott, dude, it's not it's not about you. Like, what what does your family actually need this season? Um, <laughs> not what can you pull off? And so you guys are a humility reminder in my life. Um, remind me of the story and where I'm at. You don't tell me I'm an idiot. Well, okay. You do tell me I'm an idiot. That's because when I'm being an idiot, you tell me I'm an idiot. Um, and, and let's be clear. If you didn't, I would lose respect for you. Like part of why we got to be this level of friends is you didn't, you didn't buy my razzle dazzle junk. And you're like, no, that, that was pretty much like fluff. Wasn't it? There's yeah, no, I made that up on the spot. Yeah. Um, so I love that, 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 combination of both audacity but you guys are all what else what are humility reminders in your lives what keeps you grounded or pulls you back when you lose it i think being a parent is one for me oh yeah mm. i will I, mean, I, I, I still have that. little kids at the high. i mean i've got a five-year-old and almost three-year-old um are like our bottom half and i mean there's a lot of humility there you know you can go out and do something pretty amazing and think you're <laughs> flying pretty high um you know they're still going to wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes you can't solve their problems. And sometimes they've, you know, just want to holler for no reason. So, I mean, I I think it, I think it reminds you a lot of times of, Hey, you know, you you play lots of different roles. You've got to be a servant in a lot of ways. And, you know, sometimes the work's not that glamorous. Yeah. And, and they don't care that you made a big deal. They care if, if you make a big deal out of them. Right. That's like they right. Want you to listen to their silly little story about the thing they did in the backyard yep. and actually feel like they matter. And that that's a huge reminder for me. Oh, I, I've definitely had that experience. Thousand I, times. Think it, I think another one for me is I've probably got four ish of these relationships, but like lifelong friends, like people mm-hmm. that we've known each other from like eight, ten, mm-hmm. six that you know, we've gone, maybe walked some different paths, maybe have done some things, you know, better, worse, you know, vice versa, you know, lived in different places, took different career paths, all kind of things. But I think have been a long part of that story of your life for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think always provide great context. I mean, I think you need to balance that because there's times where they want to kind of still put you in you know, you're the 10 year old boy that we did this with. And it's like, well, you know, not exactly right. Grown a little um, in the last, you know, 30 exactly. years. But yeah. I, mean, I think I've matured a couple of years at least since 10. Right. So, <laughs> um, I, but I think it does give great context to not getting ahead of yourself or outside of yourself of, of just having deep relationships that have kind of carried throughout your life for a long time, especially people that really, truly love and care about you, not for what you've done or maybe who you've become, but have done that for a very long time, you know, just out of like a connection on a level outside of a lot of, you know, societal connections or whatever. I think that's what 
family is supposed to be. I agree with you. I think sadly it often is not, but I think that's what extended family is supposed to be. Yeah, totally agree with you. And I, and I have some great relationships there in my yeah. extended family yeah. and my parents, I think are, are a part of that too. But, um, I think friends do that slightly differently maybe than family because yeah. there's not Fair. so much interconnectedness. I think family, you know, my family's great. They've been super supportive. They've helped me tons of th- in tons of ways, but I think there's a, there's some leaning there at times where not that it always becomes limiting, but it's like, Ooh, don't, don't get too far outside of where you, you know, were, were bloomed or whatever. Um, a lot of families can have some, some ability to do that there too. But, you know, I think both of those are made, I would basically just long-term relationships, whether that's family or friends, I think grounds you a lot in, Hey, you know, I always kind of say, was with a guy at lunch and he was like, I just want your life. Like, how do I get your life? Right. And this is not meant to be prideful. I was like, buddy, you're showing up on like chapter 31 of the book, right? (laughs) If you read chapters two through maybe, I don't know, 30, you would maybe want a a different story. And I think so often we have to be reminded of Hey, it's not just the chapter that we're living now. There's probably a lot of chapters before those that you kind of got to walk those roads. I think long-term relationships give you the ability to do that. Hmm. I think I think that's good. I mentioned what are the other practice, like any daily practices or regular things. I would say one of the things that um, you know, having a faith practice, I think, is incredibly important here. I mean, uh, all of us, I think, pretty strongly share a similar. Uh, faith background in the Christian faith and, and just looking at some of the, you know, obviously scripture or whatever else, but just looking at, you know, the person of Jesus who, you know, based on, you know, the story of the Bible and of Christianity, like God, man decided to come and live a life amongst us and, you know, taught a lot about humility, taught a lot about, you know, he straight said things like, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And if that's the guy we're supposed to be like, like, okay, no, that that's a big, that's a big reality check for me too. You're talking about living in the story, right? And I think it's one of those things where, you know, I think you can see popular, you know, terminology or popular concepts like servant leadership and those kind of things spring up, you know, in business and whatever else. But I just think having something to believe in bigger than yourself, which um, checks you to some extent. And, you know, I mean, Obviously, we are all uh, we all believe quite strongly in Christianity, but I think that even outside of Christianity, I think having a faith practice or having a larger uh, context that you are not the center of the story, that your life has context greater than yourself, I think is a really important practice to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, I would maybe layer on to that. The, the thought that I have and, and the practice I try to exercise, but not very consistent, is, is just really a, a question of where's my focus right now? Because mm-hmm. if my focus is on me and my contribution to the story, I'm probably not focused on the right thing. And, and you can even think about yourself it, within the context of the bigger story, but be focused more on me than the story. Sure. Uh, and so it's it's easy to kind of start with that mentality and then still end up very prideful. Uh, at least for me, maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a personal well, problem. Uh, let's put it this way: um, I know a lot of people with big faith who are very. I mean, Jesus laid into some of the most religious of his day, 
for their arrogance and pride. So yes, it's not a it's not a, a catch-all. As long as I have a big life story, then you can yeah, you can still make it about you. Um, you're the hero of that big story, then you you got a problem. Yeah. And so I think if if I'm looking at myself, if I'm looking at how I'm being perceived, I think in an age of you know, Instagram influencers, uh, this is a really timely thing of, you know, so much concern about image and how are people looking at me and am, am I being perceived as this, that, or the other thing? Um, I just think you're in the wrong place if that's the thought process. Uh, and I think a focus on the bigger story, on a bigger vision, on a bigger contribution. How do you do that, Dan? What, what's, what, what in your life reminds you to not make it about, and because part of our job, all of us at some level um, have some part of the job where we have to, to market what we're capable of. So what, what pulls you back and reminds you it's not about you? Yeah. I'm, I'm wrestling with that a lot. I've been working on my website this week and I, and I, I hate it <laughs> because <laughs> it's it just like, I hate writing about this. S- some of it is, you know, very practically speaking, trying to get other people to help me because I don't like what I come up with when I'm on my own from a kind of a marketing and personal branding standpoint. Yeah. It, I have to admit, I've done, I just had to redo my websites um, because I also dodge this stuff and it totally feels sleazy because you're supposed to write it in third person, right? Like Scott Wozniak, amazing at this particular thing. And like, Oh man, I'm now yeah. talking about myself in the third person. Yeah. It it's fun. Right. Um, but but it doesn't feel better in the first person. I'm awesome at this. Yeah. I'm amazing. It's you even should worse. hire me. <laughs> it's even worse. Um, so I'll do one, but I think you do this even better than I do. I journal. So once a week mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday mornings, that's because I have a different routine on Sunday mornings. Um, I'll take 20 minutes tops, sometimes 10 minutes. Um, and I'll do some journaling and reflect. And that process mm-hmm. forces me. But Dan, you've got even more structured kind of journal practice that you do more regularly. Like how, what, what is that? And is there a humility trigger in there? Uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's good. I hadn't connected those dots. Uh, so, so my journaling practice is, um, I I try to do it daily. I'm not great at it, but that's the aspiration. And it's really got three pieces. It starts with three things I'm thankful for very popular, uh, you know, kind of gratitude journaling. I've found myself in some pretty dark places over the last few years and, focusing on the hard things, the negative things, the difficult things, and just writing out three things I'm thankful for, even if it was as simple as, you know, had a good workout yesterday, uh, writing those three things down. And then I go to three objectives. Like what are the, what are my big three things I got to get done today? Um, to kind of help focus me before emails and phone calls start. And then the the last three are really around feelings. This is the hardest part for me. I write down three things that I'm feeling. Uh, everything else takes me about three minutes. The feelings part can take like 30 minutes because I have no idea what's going on inside. Uh, but I think that just the, the agonizing muscle memory that comes with trying every day to sit down and write, you know, this morning, my heart feels, Mm. and then I just sit there (laughs) and I just wait for what's, what comes up. And it's like, Oh, I'm, 
mad at my wife. Uh, and I had no idea. Um, I'm really disappointed in this thing or so-and-so really hurt my feelings. Or, like there's just so many things that I had no idea are inside. And I think that practice probably helps position me more appropriately in that bigger story. I'm not the hero. I'm not the center of the story. Uh, yes, there's good things. There's hard things. Um, I have a contribution to make, but it doesn't mean that I'm immune from the, the bumps and bruises of reality. Uh, and I think that kind of helps create a more realistic, I don't know if I want to use the word humble. <laughs> I think it creates a more realistic view of reality for me to start my day with. Well, I, I wouldn't, I'd say you do a lot more than just humility in there, but there are definitely parts of that, that to Jay's definition, put you back into an accurate frame of who I am in this bigger story. Um, and that it's not about me from the gratitude to, even just kind of the self-awareness processing, like, how am I doing? I, I can maybe, maybe some of the most humble things you do is admit, I don't feel good and I don't have it all together. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Oh, it's very common to be like, I'm anxious about this. I'm worried about this. I'm upset about this. Uh, those more negative emotions, I think are probably more important for me to admit, but there's also somewhat of a, I think a, a subtle, implicit admission that I'm not the hero of this story. Like, right. or, or, or if I am, this is a pretty crummy story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I'm the one writing this, I'm a bad writer. <laughs> right. I'm a bad writer. And this story's not going to go well. If it's going <laughs> to, if it's hinging on me, um, you should all have very low expectations that this is going to turn out well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll throw one on there that's very um, faith-oriented, but it's it's a lot of impact on me, humility, in a short period of time. I'm a big fan of using um, a very kind of meditative, slow reading process of the scripture. So they kind of get the, the Bible out. And um, at this point in my life, I've read through the Bible tons of times. I've done all sorts of studies. I've been to seminary. I've got a lot of knowledge about it. So what has been, for the last handful of years, the most fruitful uh, practice, which hugely reminds me humility wise and grounds me again, is I'll take a small chunk of scripture and I will read it. And then I'll sit and I'll go through is an ancient practice called Lectio Divino. And, um, what are the, what is the, the words of the scripture, right? What's, what's the actual text saying? What are the, the message? Um, then I, I pray through it. I, I basically make a, a talk to God about it. Hey, here's what it's saying. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's how I'm responding process. Then I sit in silence and say, what do you want to say to me, if anything? And he doesn't always make a big deal, but I, I wait for any sort of message or impression or feeling or promptings. Um, uh, and then I read through it again as kind of a bookend to say, let's just kind of recapture what the, but the, it's like, 10% reading it and 80% talking, like praying about it and just sitting in silence. Mm. And total three to five minutes on a single little section. I mean, you can do this deeply over long periods of sections and spend hours on this. But I, I mean, and sometimes in three to five minutes, it's like, you know, I'm just back in the play. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, I'll have no needs with him. Right. And so I'm just like, 
wait, what if, what if he is, a, I'm a sheep and a shepherd. And what does that mean? And I talk about it and then I just sit and soak in that a minute. And then I read it again. And that, that simple little practice, it's ancient. It's from um, you know, middle ages. I think they've been doing this, but I, that very kind of thoughtful mindfulness, meditative scripture reading. I, I do that every morning. And that five minutes or less is like, it's like, it feels like, like you ever have a chiropractor adjust all everything. It's like crack, 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 and suddenly it all lines up again. You're like, Oh, Oh yeah. That's what it's supposed to feel like. Um, that's what happens spiritually to me with just a few minutes. And so I do have longer, deeper studies. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those at times, but I don't know. That particular practice has been transformative for me. And the key is I try to do it every day because it, it, well, it's like, it's like navigating a ship when you can't, you don't have landmarks. And if you don't, if you only check like once a week, um, it's like, dang, we're like five miles off course and you have to do these big course corrections. But if you check every day or check, you know, on the way they do it in the big ships, you check frequently, constantly checking that, um, mm -hmm. so the more frequently I do a little recheck, uh, the less of an adjustment I need. I find I catch, I drift almost daily. I'm like, convicted and I drifted. The question is not, am I going to drift? The question is how long will I let myself drift before I, I course correct? Um, that's good. Mine are probably way less deep than any of those. So thank y'all for sharing <laughs> all those very deep emotional, spiritual things that I feel enlightened. Um, <laughs> mine, a couple of things. I think one, at least yearly, I am trying to say, hey, what room or group am I at least going to spend significant time around where I really believe I'm kind of the dumbest person in the room? Like, mm. that's just that's just what I'm like. I think it creates a lot of context. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily mean intellectually dumb, but like with what we're talking about, yeah, I'm the least to give to yeah. that conversation and the most to take, right? Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of places that I've got to be giving the most and taking the least. And so it's like, I, I need to... I need to balance that. And then I think the other thing is like trying to do something new with a person working with working for me. We get in a lot of places where, you know, we've, we've kind of built this, it's systematized. It's like put one foot in front of the other and go, 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 go. And I think just the reminder of like, I think learning naturally creates humility, right? Because you are actually learning something that you didn't know before which naturally puts you in a state of, you know, oh, wow, I've got something to learn. So I, I think I would say it's a, a very specific learning thing. And I've tried to start doing that with someone that's connected to me in some way, running or operating something with me. It's like, what is a shared experience that we're both going to a little bit get out of our comfort zone? We're in a learning environment. And then the other one has been like, really like more weekly, monthly, but like, what's one thing I can do just to change my brain pattern around habits. Like I, I've been doing this the last month, but just wearing my watch on the other arm. It's amazing what that like, oh, I have to think a little differently because it's such a habit around, okay, I pick my left arm up and that's always where my watch is. You put it on your right arm for a week and it's like, wait a second. Like I just, you have different thoughts. There's different creativity that happens with that. But it's also you look like an idiot some because you're pulling up your left arm <laughs> <laughs> trying to see what time it is. That's um, hilarious. So just small, that's just one example, but small little things like that. Use your 
you know, use your left hand to drink for a week. Like just simple things like that, that I, I don't think are very deep, but practically I think give your brain space a little bit of a different way to think about, Hey, it's not automatic. I have to like almost think about it a little bit, which I don't know that's directly connected to humility, but I think it gives me the ability to say, not everything's automatic. I think mm. when things become automatic, it, it, a lot of times it, it, it doesn't drive a conversation of humility or learning. So what just little small niches are you maybe making in that, you know, on a weekly basis? Mm. And I think something you just said, Jay, is, is, you know, maybe one of the ideas that we can kind of wrap up on is in the sense that I think that whether it's um, from a learning perspective, whether it's from a making constant course corrections to the way that you think about something or yourself or the people you work with or the people you live with, I think this element, the more we've talked about it, the more I think being humble and having humility is a key part of being alpha. Because if you aren't humble and you're not willing to continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to consider some of your thought processes or something else as something you need to continue to dig deeper in, then it's easy to get stale. It's easy to get stuck. So in some ways, not only is it something that... Um, is good and healthy as a person. But it, it, the more we talk about it, the more it seems like, you know, humility is almost a key part of being alpha if you really want to take alpha for the long run. You've been listening to the Alpha Pack Podcast. To learn more about how you can implement the strategies and insight discussed in today's episode, make sure to check out the show notes page and follow the pack on www.alphapackcommunity.com. Until next time, we hope you settle for nothing less than making the world better than the way you found it. Stay alpha.